take a moment and pray together before we transition to hearing the preaching of the word. Let's pray. Lord God, be with us. Um, It is a glorious day, a a day on which our hearts want to soar. And uh, we love you. We give thanks to you for all that is good and right in this world. And yet there remains much that is broken. And we look to you for healing and encouragement. We ask now that, um, that you would send the Holy Spirit to work in powerful ways to reawaken the faith of those whose trust in you has stretched so thin as to nearly be non-existent. We pray that you would redirect the faith of those who are trusting themselves more than you, which at any given moment this past week included all of us at some point. Call us back to yourself Draw us to yourself, work in powerful ways to call us to love Christ more by the end of this day than we do right now. We pray for the power of the Spirit to move and work through the Scriptures and the proclamation of the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. We pray in his name. Amen. So uh, you may have noticed this image earlier, starting a series of sermons called Unafraid, using a painting by a Chinese artist named Ha Shi, Christian artist who, who, who combines the themes of traditional Christian art with some of the imagery and shapes, patterns of Chinese folk art. And you'll notice in this painting of The women at the tomb, we'll talk more about them later. There's an angel speaking to them. We'll talk more about him later. Vibrant, vivid colors match the sky today and the sunlight. But in the background, three crosses. Three crosses may be hard for this image to compete with today's bright sunlight. But a picture of storm clouds reminds us that we live under a shadow, a shadow of fear, a shadow of death, a shadow of sadness and failure. That's what it is to live in this world. Even on Easter Sunday, we live under a shadow, a shadow of division, stirred up among people stirred up by politicians, a shadow in which our society is at a breaking point, and there's a fear that, that if I say the wrong thing to the wrong person, I could experience rejection and humiliation forever. A shadow that reminds us we are in constant danger of physical suffering and death. Everything I just said about that shadow is true of living right here, right now in the 21st century. And everything I just said about that shadow was true of being a Christian in Rome in the first century. All those things facing us right now were facing people who believed in Jesus in the years 40 through 
68 AD under the emperors Claudius and Nero, as people who believed in Jesus and sometimes Jews as well, were pressured to stop worshiping, were pressured to stop following Jesus, were pressured to renounce their trust in Christ, persecuted and even under Nero put to death in brutal ways, a shadow of danger and death and anxiety and fear hung over God's people. And in that moment, while that shadow was hanging over the church of Jesus, a young man named Mark wrote down a story. It was a story that he had heard his mentor, the Apostle Peter, preach hundreds of times. And Mark wrote it down for the encouragement of people just like you and me. It's the story of Jesus, the Son of God, a story that appeared to end in failure and death. But as three women, Mary Magdalene, another Mary, and a woman named Salome, as they learned very early on the first day of the week, that was not the end of the story. There's good news for us today. Everything Jesus went through, everything those women heard about, everything Peter preached about, everything Mark wrote down was for the good of people like you and me living under a shadow of fear and death and anxiety and failure and depression. Good news. Let's hear the ending of the story from Mark chapter 16, what those three women heard very early on the first day of the week. Lauren? The scripture reading this morning comes from Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fear makes us want to do something. Fear makes us want to buy six cases of bottled water. Fear makes us want to Lysol the groceries. Those examples are taken from an article that uh, a writer named Amanda Mull wrote recently in The Atlantic. She's describing fear and anxiety as they manifest themselves in the time of a pandemic and, and what that does to us. And one of the statements she made is this, fear abounds as people realize they don't have a script to follow. If I don't know what to do next, I will do something. I will buy six cases of bottled water. Panic sets in, she says. I will lice all the groceries. Give me something to do. Even if, in hindsight, it turns out not to have been very helpful or effective or necessary. 
I want to do something. Living under this shadow of fear makes me want to do something. Today I want us to talk about two things that human beings do to try to push back that shadow. They are dead ends. They do not work. They will lead us to a third way opened up by Jesus. We start with snow. On Easter morning, I'm sitting beside Trisha. We're worshiping in St. Louis. I think, if memory serves me correctly, it was April. It was one of those years that that Easter was pretty late. And it's April, y'all, and we're sitting in church on Easter Sunday, hearing a sermon about the resurrection of Jesus, and snow is falling outside the window behind the pastor's head. And here is my lovely wife wearing her white shoes because you know that's the first day you can wear them, right? And a pretty little sundress with no sleeves and maybe a straw hat. No straw hat? Okay, thanks for correcting my memory. I said maybe, right? Um, you You can try to pretend it's spring, right? But that doesn't make the snow stop falling. And that's one of the first things that human beings do in the face of fear, the fear that comes from living under this shadow of death and sadness and anxiety, a cloud of failure. Well, well, we try to pretend. We try to pretend the shadow away as though if we could deny that it's there, maybe the snow would stop falling. Maybe it'll really be spring if we try hard enough to pretend that the shadow is gone. The good news of the resurrection of Jesus is you do not have to pretend your way to a fear-free life. That is a common misunderstanding of Christianity. Usually it would go something like this, this kind of internal dialogue Well, you know, death only, only impacts the body, and that's not that big a deal. And and so what what is there to be afraid of? Right? Jesus, I mean, David already said it. Jesus has more power than everything evil put together. So why fear? It's no big deal. And yet, honestly, my heart is full of fear. I feel a whole lot of anxiety. I've been depressed for a long time. Something must be wrong with me. Because faith, Christian faith means confidence that I can pretend away all the bad stuff, right? Isn't that what faith is? No, (laughs) no. In Christianity, faith has nothing to do with confidence in our ability to do anything, especially the ability to pretend our way to a fear-free life. And so now, in addition to living under the shadow of fear and anxiety, I've, I've just heaped on myself this, this extra helping of, of guilt. Something's wrong with me. My faith isn't strong enough. I'm not strong enough to pretend it all away. That's not Christianity at all. The earliest testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, like that we find here in Mark chapter 16, shows us that Christians do not pretend 
We live in a real world. The accounts of the resurrection of Jesus have not been sanitized or spiritualized. Nobody's trying to pretend the snowstorm away and make it spring. Listen again to some of these details that Mark writes about. What were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome doing? They had bought spices. The Greek word literally means aromatic spices, spices that have a very strong, sweet, pleasant smell. Why? Because they live in a world where dead people begin to stink very badly. And they are going to the tomb full of grief, fully prepared to find a dead body. They live in a real world. They're not pretending it away. And what are they talking about as they go to the tomb? They live in a world where stones are heavy. Who will roll away the stone for us? They don't live in a world where all believers in Jesus suddenly have superpowers. And so what if the stone is heavy? We're Jesus women. It's a real world where things decay and smell bad and stones are heavy. It is a real world where women don't expect to find tombs full of angelic messengers. Now, the description that Mark gives of a young man, a youth, dressed in white, explaining a strange sight. All of those hints are clues enough for a Jewish person in the first century to understand this is an an angelic messenger sent by God to explain something that otherwise would be very hard to understand. And their response is, oh, yeah, we were expecting this. I mean, Jesus has been in the tomb. This is the third day. It's the first day of the week. This is when Christians celebrate Easter. So, Mr. Angel, please tell us what we already know. He's not here, right? No. They live in a real world. These are real women who go into a tomb expecting to find a dead body, and instead they find an angel, and they are afraid. They are alarmed. Something is wrong. This is not how the world is supposed to be. Notice how these accounts of the resurrection of Jesus have not been sanitized or spiritualized. Right? Jesus is not called. Now listen, if I were making this up, if several decades after the death of Jesus, I decided, you know what? I believe he's still dead and in a tomb, but I want to build a religion around a resurrected man. So let me make up a story that will put his resurrection in the best light. What would I call him in that story? Well, I might say, you know, if I'm the angel character speaking, I might say, hey, you are looking for Jesus, the Lord of glory, risen from the dead, the King of kings, the exalted one who is seated at the right hand of God. You will not find the mighty conqueror of death here. Instead, look what the account says. Okay, it hasn't been rewritten to reflect some kind of Christian bias. It gives Jesus kind of the lowliest name you could give him. He's the Nazarene who is crucified. You're looking for one whose body was put to death on a Roman cross. Not sanitized, not improved to make it sound more appealing. And then again, I think if I were making this story up, I would have something to say about the resurrection moment itself, right? 
What does the angel say? Three words in English. He is risen. One word in Greek. Really? One word? This key event? And that's all you got to tell me? (laughs) One word? It starts to sound like this is not an attempt to sanitize the testimony, to make it more appealing. It starts to sound like these are the things the women actually saw and heard and they reported them, and they've been preached and recorded accurately. In fact, if you were going to sanitize the account and make it more believable in the ancient world, you would not choose three women as the first ones to to be the eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. And yet, the angel says, you go and tell his disciples The key leaders of the church are not the first ones to bear testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Is that the way you would write the story if you were making it up? And yet, that's what actually happened, so that's what was written down. We don't have to pretend. Christians are not people who sanitize the world. We we don't write out the heavy stones. We don't write out the decomposing bodies. We don't write out the reality of death and fear and sadness and anxiety. Easter is not a reminder to pretend again for one more year. It is good news that you don't need to feel guilty. Why am I saying all this today? We're coming out of a pandemic. It would be so easy to just say, let's focus on Easter today and just ignore the past year. Let's ignore all that happened. But the reality is everything that you are experiencing, everything we're reading and hearing about says that there are more people coping with depression and anxiety now than there were a year ago. Why? Because we live in a world where that shadow is real and living under a cloud where someone you love could die at any moment or you could be the one who infects them and puts them at risk of death at any moment, living under that shadow takes a heavy toll on the human heart and you do not need to feel guilty today. If your heart is full of fear, if you are anxious, you don't need to feel like you're a bad Christian. If you have been wrestling with depression, it doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. It means that something is wrong with the world. And the story of Jesus rising again on the day is told in such a way that reminds us we don't have to pretend. We don't make the world better by pretending it all away. Now, the shadow isn't the only reality in our story. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so we aren't paralyzed and hopeless in the face of fear. Under the fear of death, we are not without hope, but we do not put confidence in our own ability to pretend away the reality of death and all the other fears that it represents. That may sound a bit heavy for an Easter Sunday morning, trying to shepherd the flock that Jesus has actually given me. And we are a flock that has been wrestling with a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression for over a year. 
Have I snuck inside your mind and read your secret thoughts? No. I've lived with my own heart for a year. I've lived with my own friends and family for a year. I know that's what it's like. Good news today. None of us has to pretend our way to a fear-free world. Well, if pretending won't work, maybe we can try another approach. Trisha and I visited a couple of years ago, when you could still go places, we visited a place off the tip of southern England, Cornwall, called St. Michael's Mount. And uh, if you can see this picture, it's in the background there. Uh, you may know its uh, cousin, Mont Saint-Michel in France. Well, this is kind of its twin in England. It's sitting out surrounded by the ocean and uh, the day we were scheduled to go visit it, there was just a monster storm. Gray clouds everywhere, and not just kind of a fine Scottish mist. I mean, this was rain, y'all. It was heavy, heavy rain for hours. And so we did our best to fight back the wind and the rain and stay warm and dry. And this is our friend Ron and his son David. And there's Trisha in her, you know, best orange raincoat. And uh, I'm taking the picture. I got my orange raincoat on. Thankfully, I'm taking it so you can't see this because I had a garbage bag pulled over the raincoat. No poncho for me. Like, find the garbage bag, rip the hole in the top, poke holes in the side, right? That extra layer did no good, right? This storm was incredible. We're trying to make the most of it. We're miserable. We're wet. We're cold. We go sit in the cafe and, you know, to try to beat back the chill we order hot tea and these lovely Cornish scones, right? And so now we're just cold, wet, miserable people drinking hot tea and eating lovely scones. It's not warming us up from the inside at all. It does no good. Nothing we could do could push it back. Even the best raincoat. Coat, it, don't fail me now. If you ever kept the water out, today is the day I need you. The pressure is on. It is most intense. Nothing worked. We can try to fight off death and fear and anxiety, and it will leave us exhausted because we will never be able to do enough. You can never slide enough garbage bags over your head to keep the rain out. Good news from the empty tomb of Jesus, you do not have to perform your way to a fear-free life. Fear makes us want to do something. If pretending won't work, maybe performing will. I will try my hardest. I will do more. I will do better. I will make it go away. I will light all the groceries. <laughs> I will wear five masks. I will do whatever I must. But here's this text telling us, you know, you can't trust your own performance, and here's why. Everybody fails. Listen to what the angel said. Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Did you hear it? Go tell his disciples and Peter. Well, why, why emphasize the and Peter bit? Well, you know, don't you? Let's go back to, to Mark chapter 14. Jesus is telling his 
apostles, right after they've shared a last meal together, he says, uh, all of you will fall away. And Peter's response is, no, even though the rest of them fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, hey, Peter, before the night is over, you are going to deny me three times. And Peter says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter wants to come through. He wants to perform well. He wants to be the faithful one. When you need me most, I will be there for you. When you need me to lay down my life for you, I will do it for you. When you need love and loyalty and faithfulness, to come through in the moment of most intense danger and fear. I will stand Jesus. And Peter blows it. Three times denies Jesus. Now, Peter gets a bad rap, right? But listen to what the angel said. Go tell his disciples and Peter. His disciples and Peter. If you read Mark 14, Jesus says, you will all fall away. It's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter said, well, I I won't deny you. And then read the rest of the verse. And they all said the same. You know, in my Bible, this part, this paragraph is labeled Peter, right? Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal. That's giving Peter a rap that he doesn't need to bear by himself. Jesus predicts that all of his disciples will betray him. Nobody comes out looking well in this. Peter fails. All of Jesus' apostles fails. And we could say, well, you know, those are the men. What about these women who stood and watched Jesus be crucified and they didn't run away? And and, um, out of reverence for Jesus, they came out to anoint his body. We didn't read this verse earlier, but... This is the next verse after the ones that Lauren read for us about those women. They went out and fled. The disciples fell away. The women ran away. Why? They were afraid. And because they were afraid, they said nothing. The angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter. And they did not go. And they did not tell. Well, eventually they must have, right? Yes. Otherwise, we wouldn't know the story at all. But right here in the heat of the moment, we are hearing that that we cannot perform our way to a fear-free life because you cannot trust a human being to come through when it matters most. You cannot trust human beings to perform well. When loyalty to God means readiness to lay down our own lives to demonstrate love for others. The whole point of Jesus' crucifixion is that we need him to atone for human failure to love God and neighbor. So far, we're exploring two false paths, pretending and performing, and they will get us nowhere except guilt and exhaustion. There is good news. In Jesus, there is another way. And Jesus does not call you to pretend in a way that's going to lead you to that cloud of guilt because you're not good enough at it. And he's not calling you to perform 
to exhaust yourself. Jesus can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We're not called to pretend. We're not called to perform. We are called to depend on him to rescue us, to rescue us from death. The angel said, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He was dead. He has risen. He is not here. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the goodness of his Father who loved him and who honored his faithfulness to lay down his life to redeem his people. Jesus has been rescued from death, and one day he will rescue us from death. Jesus, his resurrection, his resurrection is like this first ray of sunlight that breaks through the clouds. Right? The clouds are still there. There's still a lot of gray in the sky. But sunlight is beginning to beam down and to say to you, the storm won't last forever. That means something for us today. Because some of us are in a place where we're like, you know what? Over 12 months now, I've been wrestling fear and anxiety and sadness and depression. And I think it's still going to be here when I go to bed tonight, even though it's Easter Sunday. And if being a Christian means being able to go to sleep tonight, not sad anymore about anything. If being a Christian means at the end of the day, I look up and there's nothing gray left in the sky. Then I must not be a Christian. Because there's plenty of gray clouds still hanging over my life. Christianity doesn't say the gray cloud is gone completely on Easter Sunday. It says, the first rays of light have penetrated the storm. The shadow is being destroyed, and one day it will be gone forever. One day there will be nothing more for you to be sad about. One day the anxiety you feel that, that nothing has been able to take away. There will be nothing to be anxious about ever again. One day, every hint of gray underneath that shadow will be gone. And the resurrection of Jesus is the breaking in of that day into our history. And the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the feasting that will come on that day. And moments like this when we can gather together and taste some of the joy of belonging to people who love us is a reflection and a shadow of what will be ours forever, completely, fully, one day, someday. Isn't that what you say, David? One day, someday. The shadow will be gone. Easter Sunday is the day of down payment when the first ray 
of sunlight has penetrated the shadow. You are looking for a man who was crucified. Now you need to start looking for a man who was crucified and then resurrected. Jesus has been rescued from death and he will rescue us from death. True faith is not confidence that I can pretend away the shadow. True faith is confidence that the story won't end under the shadow. Not because I'm good at pretending, not because I'm good at performing, but because Jesus died and rose again to rescue us from death. Can we say also that Jesus died and rose to rescue us from failure? Everybody fails. By the time you get to the end of this story, you've, you've been reminded of Peter's dramatic failure. You've been reminded that all the others did the same. You've been reminded that the women fled and out of fear said nothing to anyone, at least initially. The only person in the story who doesn't fail is Jesus. He didn't fall away. He didn't run away when confusion and danger and fear were the greatest in his life. He remained perfectly faithful to his father's purposes, perfectly faithful to sacrifice himself out of love for you and for me. Now listen, we had some black preachers for several weeks who taught us better than this. This is time for y'all to talk back a little bit in town. We've been learning, right? Can you say amen at some point? Because, because in that moment when Jesus should have, if he were a normal human being, if he were just like you and me, he should have caved like everybody else in the story. He should have fled away. He should have run from the cross. Instead, what did he do? He remained faithful out of love to his father, out of love to us. His faithfulness is a foundation for a promise that your failure, my failure, the failure of God's people is not the end of his love for us. Listen again to what the angel said. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Well, when did he tell them? Mark chapter 14 again. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. And then he said, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I will go there first, and then I want the rest of you to join me. Wait a minute, Jesus. Don't you know what you just said? You just said we're all going to abandon you when it counts the most. You just said we're the leaky raincoats that can't be counted on when it matters the most. You just said that we're going to let you down in, in the most intense moment, and you're going to go alone through all of that for us and you still want us to be with you yes yes hallelujah amen our failure is not the end of his love for us death is not the end of his love for us jesus died and rose again and his faithfulness to the father on our behalf, his faithfulness 
is the foundation of this promise that our failure is not the end of his love. I am going to Galilee, and I know exactly what you will do between now and then, but I still want you to join me there. Will you meet me in Galilee after I am raised from the dead? There is something about Jesus and what he has done for us It turns back death. It takes away all of our sins, our failures to be loyal to him and to other people when they need us most. We can be confident in his promise that he will keep loving us. Why? Well, because we're like Peter. We're really good. We don't, right? Peter's a powerful, strong leader. No. No, Peter became a powerful, strong leader after he betrayed Jesus and met Jesus in Galilee. Well, well maybe it's because I'm like these women. I'm really devoted to Jesus. I mean, all the disciples had ran away, and they're the only ones going to the, empty, to the tomb to anoint him, to, to honor him in some way. Is it because I'm so devoted that I deserve his love? Well, we've already seen their devotion gave way to fear. Jesus doesn't love us because we're good or great like Peter. He doesn't love us because we're so devoted to him like Mary and Mary and Salome. Jesus loves us because he is full of grace. Because he has done everything necessary to redeem us and bind us to himself forever. In Jerusalem, there was a rock quarry in the first century outside the walls of the city. That rock quarry was uh, mined until all the useful stone had been taken away, and the stone that had too many cracks in it to be good anymore was left. And so um, it was abandoned. It became a site that the Romans used for executions. It also became a site where it was convenient to dig tombs into the side of the abandoned quarry. There were these tall rock faces, easy to chisel tombs into them. It was there that Jesus was put to death and about 30 yards away, buried in a borrowed tomb. Over time, Christians began to revere that site. Interestingly, they never revered it as the final resting place of Jesus' body. Many other religions and movements honor the grave of someone who has died and is still buried in a particular location. There is no indication that this spot in Jerusalem was ever honored in that way. It was always honored as the place where Jesus' body lay for a while. It was always honored as an empty tomb. Eventually, it was honored in, in such a way we wouldn't do this today, right? All of the rock was carved away so that only the section where Jesus was buried remained so that a, a shrine could be built over it to honor it, protect it. And then in the fourth century, 
the Emperor Constantine, actually his mother, Helena, encouraged him to have a, a large building constructed over it, this huge dome. And so now this open-air place that would have normally been flooded with light becomes pretty dark. You've got this massive rock dome built over this empty tomb, and uh, it's lighted only by candles. There are a few electric bulbs in there today, but they're not enough to fill up a space that vast. This is one of my favorite places in the world. Um, it's usually dark, crowded, dim, quiet. But sometimes, sometimes, on a sunny day, when the sun's in the right spot, this hole in the roof is flooded with light. And you get this sunlight pouring down out of the heavens and making the darkness in the room run away. The other corners of this massive church sprawling are still dark and dim, but right here in the place where Jesus' body was laid, there is sunlight, there is brightness, there is this vivid reminder you seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Interestingly, in the Western Christian tradition, this building is known as the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, the Church of the Holy Tomb. In the Eastern Christian tradition, it's not known that way at all. The Westerners tend to remember this room when it's dark and the Sunlight's not there. <laughs> but those from the east, in their mind is a picture like this with the sunlight flooding in, and it's called the church of the resurrection, the church of the he is not here, the church of the shadow has been penetrated. It is still with us. There are times when our hearts are so heavy we think they will break forever. But Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus has forgiven every one of your failures by his death and resurrection. Jesus has defeated death and fear and shame and sorrow. And he will come again. And then maybe, then maybe in this place there will no longer be a ceiling. <laughs> and the light will flood in all the time. Whatever happens to that building at Jesus' return, he promises us glory. Not because we're good at performing, not because we're good at pretending, but because he is alive and he is loving enough to share his life with all who put their trust in him. Let's give thanks to him. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you today. You are the one from Nazareth, the carpenter's son, of whom many people said he'll never amount to anything. Nothing good comes from there. You are the one who was crucified, the one of whom everyone in the first century would have concluded you were just a gigantic failure. The only people who get crucified are those who aren't even fully human, those who are utterly 
humiliated and rejected. And Jesus, you did all of this out of love for your Father, out of love for your people. You are the resurrected one. We give thanks to you for the promise that the shadows and the clouds, even though sometimes they look so dark and so thick that nothing could penetrate them, they are not the final reality. The story ends in life, in joy, in resurrection glory. That's your story. And because of your great love, it's our story too. Amen.